0: Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you for the gift of this morning. Thank you for this beautiful weather, Lord, and this uh, incredible opportunity we have to gather in your name. We pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us today, that you would reveal to us the hope of your gospel, Lord, and that you would place your words in our mouth, Lord, that we might faithfully proclaim them. Lord, speak deep into our hearts. Break down our defenses against you, Lord, and may you totally conquer us today. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Morning! It is great to see you all today. Uh, Let's see. Oh, last uh, week I was up in the Sierras driving around in my car and looking for a trail. So I was out on these four-wheel drive roads and looking for this hiking trail where I was going to get kind of into the backcountry. And uh, so I was using my map, and I was trying to get around, and I had this feeling, I'd never been to this place before, right? But I had a feeling that I should be going a slightly different direction than the map was pointing me and directing me to go to. And there were some forks in the road, so I wasn't sure exactly which one to take. But I had a feeling that the way the map was taking me was not right. Anyone ever felt that way before? Were you right? (laughs) Right? It's that question, what do I listen to? Do I listen to this internal compass in me getting to a place I've never been before? So how would the internal compass know how to get there? Or do I listen to the map, which might be right, or the trails might have changed since it was recorded. You never know. You're not sure which one to follow. I really had that question. Do I follow the map, or do I follow myself? Where do I go, and who's in charge, was really what was going on there. And that's really what's going on today in our gospel passage. Where do we go, and who is in charge? In the gospel of Mark, Jesus is talking to his disciples about his betrayal, death, and resurrection. Are those important topics? Yes, and they still are today. They are the important topic, right? His death and resurrection are the central theme of Christianity. And his disciples, they are paying rapt attention to his discussion of his death and resurrection, right? No. No. Not at all. What are the disciples talking about? Themselves. themselves and more and more defined than themselves, what about themselves? Number one. Who's number one? right? Who's the best? Not only just talking about internal affairs, but like who's the best? So you've got Jesus on one hand talking about his betrayal, death and resurrection. The central themes of Christianity. And then you've got the disciples, who are walking with him, but are but are um, bickering among one another about who is the greatest one. You see, the disciples are focused on the fantasy league of discipleship, <laughs> right? If any of you have watched NFL recently, right, you see all these like fan duel and things about uh, investing and betting, gambling on fantasy league football, right? And that's what the disciples are basically doing right now. I would not be surprised if some money changed hands on, these, on this debate, right? Who would you choose for your team of fantasy league of disciples? Would you go with Peter first or with John the Beloved or maybe a dark horse like Thaddeus who you hope is going to have a breakout game? Right? Who is going to be the greatest? You know, Peter had a lot of carries, but he coughed up the ball a lot, too. Right? There were a lot of fumbles by Peter and a lot of, like, missed opportunities. So who is the best then? Who is the greatest disciple? Who is on the pinnacle of discipleship? Jesus, in his awesome way, brings these disciples to a place where they can see just how ridiculous they are. Just how ridiculous the concerns of their life are. He cares about lots of concerns in their life, but this debate he does not give a rip about. Once they arrive at their destination, not during the walk when they're in their discussion, he lets them just keep debating about this. Once they get to their place where they're going to spend the night, he asks, what were you arguing about on the way? Does Jesus know? Yes, he knows. But he asks, why does he ask them? See if they'll tell him and... What happens when somebody asks you a question that makes you really think about what you've been doing? You think about it, and if you've been doing the wrong thing, how do you often feel? Or how should you feel? Guilty, right? You should feel that kind of like gnawing feeling in your gut, like, ooh, oh man, oh, I was hoping he wasn't going to ask that. So, that's how they're feeling. They're there, kind of struck silent by Jesus' question. No one wants to answer him. No one wants to be the one to say, even though Jesus, of course, already knows, that they were debating about who was the greatest while Jesus was speaking about his betrayal, death, and resurrection. No one wants to be that guy to come out and say the honest truth. So since they will not answer him, Jesus does the most remarkable thing. He brings a child into the center of their gathering. And he tells them that the model of his kingdom is different than the way that things work in this world. The model of his kingdom is different than what the disciples had been debating about. Instead of confronting them about their behavior, he says, here is the model. And the model is not the child, but the model is rather Jesus Christ himself. To be a leader is to be like Jesus, is to be a servant. Jesus came, not for us to crown him with glory, but to serve us to die as an offering, a sacrifice for us. That's what his whole discussion was on the road. He was talking about his sacrifice. And yet the disciples, all they were thinking about was, who's going to get the most glory? Jesus came to be a servant of not only the wealthy, but of the least and the lost. And in order to make this point more clearly, Jesus takes this child in his arms. Now this seems cute and cuddly in the 21st century, but in the first century, children were not perceived as innocent or as sweet, but as a liability and a challenge to the immediate survival of the family. But one that could pay off when they come of age, right? You think about the um, the mortality rate of women who were giving birth, right? You consider um, the mortality rate of infants. And kids were like a very dangerous thing because you had to care for them. It took energy of the family to care for this child until it came to a point at which the child could then contribute to the family, right? It was a complicated matter to have children. And children were not viewed in this um, uh, post-Renaissance view, I guess um, post-Enlightenment view uh, like we see them today. They were a lot like an investment policy, right? Anyone invest anything ever before? Right when you go and invest money, is anyone thinking, "Man, I've got all this extra money. I don't know what to do with it. I might as well put it in stocks or bonds or funds." Anyone feel that way? If you do, come and talk to me. (laughs) Um, But I think all of us could find other things, pressing needs, we could put that money to service in in our lives. Instead, we say, "I know I could use this right now," but instead, I'm going to invest it because I know in the or I hope in the future. That this will pay off right isn't that what we do we we um delay gratification in our lives we say i'm going to wait till later so that this can pay off in a different way uh, that's how children were too right it took away energy in the short term but in the long term you hoped that they would pay off that's how they were viewed in the ancient world and they were your retirement plan as well as a parent your child was your retirement plan That was how you were going to survive when you could no longer work, was your kid was going to take care of you, right? can't you remember that. Yep. (laughs) So Jesus takes this child, which was not a status symbol like a politician kissing a baby or something like that, right? This was not going to get Jesus a bunch of points in the world. Instead, he says, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me but the one who sent me. So with this ancient view of children in mind, when Jesus takes this child in his arms, it's not talking about taking cuddly, cute things in your hands. It's not talking about he who, who loves bunny rabbits, right, loves me. He's talking about the outcasts, the lost, the least in the society, the lonely. Whoever takes in those people, those who the world doesn't see as valuable, Whoever welcomes those people welcomes me and welcomes my Father. We live in a world where there are millions of people who are in need. In Jesus' name, we should be challenged to welcome them, to care for and love the children, the widows, the immigrants, the strangers. This is our call as Christians. But there is more to it than just these good works. I began this sermon by speaking about my map and the desire I had to go a different way than where the map was leading me. The disciples had the same feeling. They wanted to go straight to glory and to fame. They weren't interested in this message of betrayal, death, and resurrection. I mean, that sounds miserable, doesn't it? If you could go straight to glory and skip all the the bad pieces, who wouldn't? That's what the disciples were trying to do. Ultimately, the disciples wanted to avoid the cross. But the life that Jesus calls us to, we can't do that. Death is the only way to live. The call of Jesus to serve others is grounded in his death for us. Because that's what his death meant. right? He left his position of authority, of power, of glory, so that he could come and take our flesh on himself and serve and suffer for us. That's what God's model is. We as well, once we have received the death of Jesus Christ once we have accepted his condemnation of our sins and received his grace and forgiveness, we then are called to go out into this world loving and caring for the least, the lost, and the hurting. Today, may we be challenged to do that. I find this sermon particularly convicting for me because in a little bit I'll be preaching it in Condon Park. Right? And living here on the corner. I see the sorts of folk who go up to Condon Park on a regular basis. Right? And and they're not exactly the folks I'd love to be in deep relationship with. Right? Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah. This is hard to think about how I can love and care for them as well. How can I be a person who lives out the gospel with people who it's so hard to love. May we in our lives be challenged and convicted and brought to a place where we, like Jesus Christ, can lay down our lives, not just for those who are neat or fun or whatever we want, but for those who are completely the opposite, who are cranky, contentious, but also lonely and hurting. May we live out the love of Christ in this Nevada County and here in this region, but also in the world. May we go forth from this place transformed and redeemed, knowing that we serve a Savior who has done just this for us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being our Lord and Savior Thank you, Lord, for taking our flesh upon yourself, Lord. Becoming one of us and living here in this world, Lord. And in this world, you didn't live in glory, Lord, but you sacrificed yourself. Help us, Lord God, to do the same. To go out into this world... This place, Lord, where we are surrounded by people who are hurting, who are lost, who are lonely. And may we welcome them. May we care for them. May we bless them, Lord God. And may we direct them to you. We pray this in Jesus' holy name. Amen.